Guys, I can't, I can't begin to tell you how excited I am to see what God has in store for us. You guys uh, sent my family and I away on a sabbatical this past summer, and uh, you said you want us to get recharged for the next season, and here we are. <laughs> Buckle up. Uh, we, uh, we think that the Lord has so much good in store uh, for this church and for our city and for each and every one of us. So we're starting this series today. It'll be a five-week series called Greater, Greater Things. And I believe, I truly believe that this is a, this is a season of life that the Lord has for us, uh, one where uh, the impact has the potential to be felt for generations, one, one uh, that, will, that will affect both the inside and the outside of this church, one where the lost will be found, one where the called will be equipped, one where we will be used mightily by God. And I want to start out this morning by giving you a picture giving you a picture uh, that I think about often because I struggle to live out of this reality so often. About seven years ago, uh, one of those shots on the video was about seven years ago when we were, we were meeting in my living room um, and the church was just getting going, just getting started, just getting off the ground. And, and uh, we had just moved into this house and we were, we were renovating the house and we were renovating a part of my basement. And my oldest son at the time, Caden, uh, was probably around two years old, uh, maybe closer to three. And it was one of those things where I'm, I'm kind of a DIY kind of guy. So I was uh, working in the basement and Caden said, Dad, I want to work with you. And so you know how this works, right? This means that the work is going to go twice as slow, right? That's how this is going to work. I mean, realistically speaking, and I said, okay, let's, let's work together. And, um, and after a couple hours, we had completed our work for the day. And, uh, and he ran upstairs as excited as could be uh, and, and, and had his little, he had his little, uh, you know, Fisher-Price tool belt on and his plastic hammer. And he said this to Megan in his little stuttering voice. He said, mom, come look at what we built. And we had finished this wall. And this is a picture from our day together that day. And I think about this picture so often because it is so much like what God's heart is for each and every one of us. Because the reality is this, Caden's hammer did not drive one nail that day. His little arms, they couldn't hold one two by four board square enough for me to nail it in. But none of that was in reference for him. What made his experience so joyful and fulfilling it was because he and dad were one in the work. That's what made it so joyful, so fulfilling for him. And he didn't even have time to stop and take account of who was doing what and you know who should get uh, the credit for the, the effort made. And I think this is a picture for us of what it's like to build God's kingdom as God's people. That you would, in this life, friends, experience such deep union with your Father in heaven, that there would be no relationship, there'd be no work project, no conversation, no moment that you did not see and experience oneness with him, that you would be never alone again. That's what God has in store for his children. But, but the enemy, this enemy that we have is always seeking to drive a wedge in our union with our Father in heaven that Jesus has won 
for us. He's always trying to make us stand on our own resources and prove ourselves. And much of the time, do you know what happens? He succeeds. And so our life in this world and our abilities, um, you know, to connect with our Father and what we're doing in this world often leave us feeling unfulfilled, unsatisfied, and, and, and we lack joy. And, uh, and Jesus, Jesus wasn't spared from this, separate, from this temptation either. If you, if, you, if you don't believe that, just go read Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was constantly spotlighting his Father in heaven and his union with him when he lived among his disciples. In fact, listen to a few verses that will kind of tee us up today as we go into John 14. Let's look at John 5. So John 14 is toward the end of Jesus' ministry on this earth. John 5 is like toward the beginning. Here is what Jesus says. He says, my father is working till now, and I am working. Truly, truly, I say to you, disciples, the son, in other words, himself, can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. I can do nothing on my own. You see, Jesus would go on to say something to us about this too. He extends this reality of being able to do nothing on our own too. He says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. So why, church, do we try to do so much without him? What would it look like? for us to experience oneness and union with our Father in heaven collectively as we go about God's work in this world, our Father's work in this world. Because the truth is, is that Jesus, when he walked this world, he never imagined a moment of being separated from the heart of his Father in the work that he was doing. It wasn't a category for Jesus. And this is why the separation that Jesus did experience from his father on the cross was so agonizing because it was the first time that it had ever happened. And it's the whole reason that Jesus came to us to restore us to our father in heaven, but not in just some kind of a mystical way, in a very profound and concrete way, he has restored us to him. And that's why Jesus had to go back to the father to finish the work that the father sent him to accomplish. Yet for many of us, we wither on the vine because we are so loosely connected to it. And how do I know this? It's because we experience a lack of joy and fulfillment in the things that our Father has called us to do in this world. We, we see ourselves like Jesus' first disciples did, as more of a spectator to our Father's work than a participant with our Father in his work in this world? And that's a question that we really ought ought to all consider today. Do I see myself as more of a spectator to my Father's work or a participant in my Father's work? And this this isn't a, it's not a problem that's new to the world. In fact, Hudson Taylor, Hudson Taylor is this guy He was a missionary in the 1800s. He founded the China Inland Mission, which arguably is the most profound mission work of God to the nations outside of the Apostle Paul's work in the scriptures. 
I mean, this dude had a massive impact that I would be surprised if it hasn't influenced people in this room today. A massive impact. Here's what he said about this temptation. He said this, many Christians estimate difficulties in light of their own resources. In other words, we see ourselves as separate from our Father in heaven, doing work for our Father in heaven. And he says, thus they attempt little and they often fail in the little that they attempt. In other words, they imagine themselves doing for God instead of doing the Father's, instead of the Father doing work in and through them. And he says, all God's giants have been weak men and women who did great things for God because they reckoned on his power. They depended on his power and his presence with them. They counted on it. They banked on it. And he says, I found there are three stages in every great work of God. First, it's impossible. Then it's difficult. And then it's done. And friends, I want to be about that kind of work in the Father's kingdom. I think he's called each and every one of us to this. I want to be a part of something that's, as as Randy Pope, the founding pastor of Perimeter Church says, that it's doomed to fail unless God's in it. That In fact, we set out to do things that unless God's in it, it's not going to happen. We tether ourselves in such a deep way to the Father's work that we depend on him so deeply. So as we turn to John 14 today, um, we're going to see that Jesus has a vision for us in this, that, that he's extending his Father's vision to us in this. And our big idea today is this, is that the Father sent the Son to do great things, marvelous things, great things. And the Son has sent his children to do even greater things. So let's... Let's, uh, let's dig in today, if you've got a Bible, to John chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 8 and following. And if you're a note taker, I'll kind of give you the, the uh, kind of the frame of reference of where I'm going, kind of the map of where I'm going. The, f- the first thing that we see is this, is that Jesus had to go to the Father so that the fullness of the gospel could come to us. So Jesus had to go to the Father. The second thing we see is this, is that the fullness of the gospel is experienced through the gift of the Holy Spirit to us. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit is actively advancing the Father's work for the kingdom through his children. So let's dig into that first point here. Let's look at verse 8. Okay, so this is Jesus talking in the, in the, in the upper room discourse, the last kind of the last debrief before Jesus will go to the cross. He's sharing all these things with them. And by the way, we're going to be looking at some selections from the upper room discourse in this whole series. But Jesus, uh, here's what, here's what uh, John 14, chapter 8 says. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to them, have I been with you so long that you still don't even know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, Philip, But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works, greater things than these will he do, because I am going to the Father." 
Okay, so what's happening here? What's going on? What's the context? Well, Jesus has had this amazing ministry for three years with this, this group of kind of ragtag disciples that have been with him. And so uh, in being with him, uh, they've seen Jesus do lots of amazing, miraculous things, things that do not make any sense from a worldly perspective. They are not possible. They are impossible things. But now Jesus has just declared to them just before this that he's got to go back to the Father. And, um, and, and the wheels really start falling off here. And it kind of starts with Peter. Peter's like, hey, Jesus, don't go to the cross. And so Peter's like, hey, don't complete our salvation, all right? We don't need you to do that. We need you right here. And if it's not bad enough for Peter, uh, Thomas, uh, just before this in John 14, is troubled in spirit. And, and uh, Jesus says, hey, you know, no, follow me. You know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he's like, he's like, you know, Jesus, we don't even know where you're going. How can we follow you? <laughs> and then we've, got, then we've got Philip here. Phil, Philip acts like he's never heard about the divinity of Jesus before. And this is God's plan A for the redemption of the world. The wheels seem to be falling off at the debrief just before the mission is to go to the world, right? It starts, it seems to be falling off. So how does Jesus respond? Jesus says, you've been seeing the Father the whole time. You've been seeing the Father the whole time you've been with me. You've been hearing from the Father every time I've spoken to you. You've been with the Father every time you've been with me. And it's my Father that's been working with me and in me and through me the whole time on your behalf but now I have to go back to the Father because of my work to save you. And it's going to be through you that the world is going to see me and experience great things through me. So Peter, Thomas, Philip, now because of Jesus, you are the plan for the world. Have you ever thought about it this way? I mean, because we, we look at Peter, Thomas, Philip, but you know what else we could put in that? We could put Megan, Roman, Bill, Brian, Mark, all of our names, because we are his disciples, are now the plan for the world. You see, Jesus doesn't leave any room for his disciples to be spectators. He's called us to be participants in the Father's work in advancing the kingdom of God. Now, it seems like a lot of pressure, doesn't it? It seems like a lot of pressure for us but it's not us alone. It's our Father working in and through us. So why did Jesus have to go back to the Father? Because he needed to complete the fullness of the gospel. If Jesus doesn't go back to the Father, the gospel cannot be applied to our life. God's grace cannot be applied to us. We don't just need him to, to, to do miracles. We need to be justified, adopted, sanctified, and ultimately glorified where we'll be one with our Father in heaven perfectly again. We needed him to go back to the Father. So does the gospel mean that we will really be resurrected with Jesus at the end of time? Yes. Yes, it absolutely does because right now at this moment, I can tell you exactly where Jesus Christ is. I can tell you exactly where he's at. He's seated at the right hand of God, representing us, and he's sent his Holy Spirit to apply the work of salvation to our hearts even before it's going to be consummated when we're with him forever. It's a beautiful thing, but we, just like these disciples, would rather be fans of Jesus oftentimes than followers 
of Jesus. And until he returns, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and sent the Spirit to us so that we can be about the greater things, the greater works of our Father in heaven. You know, being a fan of Jesus doesn't hold me responsible to be about the things of Jesus. You know, to stay tethered to my Father in heaven. Being a fan doesn't require anything from me. It's easier to be Jesus' fanboy than it is to be an extension of the kingdom of God to our friends and neighbors and coworkers and our children, isn't it? But this is the very heart of God for you. It's much greater than you think that it is. It feels safer just to watch Jesus do the Father's work than for the Spirit to do the Father's work through us. And I think it's because we know so little of what the Holy Spirit is actually doing in the church. You see, in, in Jeremiah 31, there was this vision that Jeremiah laid out about a life that would be so intertwined with our Father in heaven. Here's what he says in Jeremiah 31. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, my people. You know, and that covenant is I'll be your God and you'll be my people, right? We, we see this thread all the way throughout the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. This is the promise that God will do whatever it takes to make to, for him to be our God and we to be his people. So he's re-upping on the promise he's already made. So verse 32 says this. He says, it's not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Because that covenant they broke. Though I was their husband, interesting language, right, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. So I'm not going to put my law on stone for them to look at. I'm actually going to write it on their hearts. You see the movement of God further and deeper into his people. And he says, I'll be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, hey, know the Lord, know the Lord, look at the law, know the Lord. And... Uh, <clears throat> He says, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, I will forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more and they'll all know me. So what is the new covenant that we talk about, by the way, every single week that we take this, we proclaim the Lord's death, right, in the new covenant. What is the new covenant? It's the fact that the Holy, that God is, the Father is living inside of us, friends. Like we have these flesh shoots that we wear and we, we, we typically think a lot about. But the God of the universe lives inside of each and every one of us that trust Christ for salvation. That's the promise of the new covenant, that the Father is in our midst because the Spirit dwells within us. And why? Because we have this union with our Father in heaven through what Jesus has done. Each week that we take this table, we are reminded that Jesus is with the Father, and that's really good news. Even though for the disciples, it was really hard news. They couldn't imagine that God had good things in store for them if Jesus was going to be gone, thus minimizing the possibility of what the Holy Spirit came to do in and through his people. So how... You know, Jesus, like, it's crazy because the first 30 years of Jesus' life, we've got, like, 
We've got his birth, and we got this, we got this time, right, where, where they came in for this festival in Jerusalem, and Jesus is hanging out in Jerusalem, and mom and dad, like, leave him for a couple days. That always makes me feel better as a parent, you know what I mean? It's like Mary and Joseph messed it up, you know, I left him in the grocery store of the car for a few minutes. But, but they go back to, they go back, and they find Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, what? Like, how could you do this to us? They're like thinking about themselves, and Jesus goes, hey, didn't you know I need to be about my father's business, right? It's like 12-year-old Jesus. He's like, hey, I had to be about my father's business. Well, because Jesus has gone to the father, and he sent the spirit to live with us, to be in us, to work through us, to build the kingdom of God through us. The question is, what does it mean for you to be about your father's business? The fullness of the gospel is experienced through the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're about our Father's business through tapping into and living out of the Spirit's power that's alive inside of us, okay? So right at the top of John 14, if you're kind of looking through this, Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, I'm going to the Father, and their first feeling, uh, I think it's verse, um, verse one, let not your hearts be troubled. Their first feeling is fear, right? Hey, I'm going to the Father, Terror, just shaking them, right? I mean, they are terrified because they imagine, just like you and I do when fear strikes our lives, they imagine a future with less of God because they have less of Jesus' presence. That's what they imagine. And I would argue this for you. Anytime that fear sets into your soul, you are imagining the exact same thing. You're imagining a future with less of God's presence in it instead of more of God's presence in it. And that's why our circumstances tend to drown out these great and dear promises of the new covenant that we have, that God lives in us. And so, you know, Jesus circles around um, and, and he addresses their core fears, and, and it's mine too. And it's this, th- this is their core fear right here. The feeling of being alone in my father's world, being about my father's business, but not being with my father, right? That terrifies me. Being in my father's world, about my father's business, yet without my father with me. That's the future that they imagine. That's the future we imagine when fear cripples us. But here's what Jesus says to them. It's this beautiful thing. He says, verse 15 in chapter 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, there is a certain behavior, there is a certain trajectory of people that really follow Jesus, right? There's a certain obedience that's required. Now, our relationship isn't dependent on the obedience, but he says, look, if you love me, your your life will look a certain way. And that's that's helpful for us, right? That's helpful because it, it tells us what it looks like when the spirit is getting, taking more and more domain in our hearts. And he says, and I will ask the father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So he's addressing all of their fear right there. I need help because the Father's not with me, and he's going to be with me forever. Jesus is saying, listen, it's going to be better in the future than it is right now. Even then, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you, new covenant promise, right? And he will be in you. So not on stones of tablet, not at 166 Beaufort Drive, right? Not at church camp when you were 13, but he will be in you now. 
That's the promise of what the Holy Spirit grants to us. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus said that he's going to ask the Father to give us help and to be with us. Why then do we live like we have no help and no Father with us? It's because we don't realize what the Holy Spirit has been given to grant us in our lives. We, I mean, we think the Holy Spirit is those goosebumps you get during a worship song, right? It might be, okay, it's good. But he's so much more. So, so you ask, what is the Holy Spirit actively doing in me, through me, and for me today? Well, let me, let me tell you a little bit about what the scriptures say the Holy Spirit is. What, what does this mean for us? The scriptures say that the Holy Spirit is the one that makes us alive to the things of the Father. So as, as John says, or as um, John writes here, and Jesus says, um, the world cannot know him. In other words, the world looks at this word right here, and it sees a book. We look at this word, and we see life. We see Christ. We see our Father's heart and his pleasure for us. What, the Holy Spirit teaches us about who our Father is through this word. Not only that, he's the guarantee of our inheritance with our Father forever. He is the Spirit of the Father and the Son that comforts you in all of your affliction because he's the God of comfort. He's the Spirit of the Father and the Son that helps us in our time of need. He is the Spirit of the Father and Son that is with us. He is Emmanuel, church. He's the Spirit of the Father and the Son that gives gifts to us. He is a giver by nature. And he gives these gifts for mutual edification in his church. We're all very different because God has given us the Spirit. And he is the seal of our salvation, reminding us over and over again that the work is finished, that the verdict is in, and we are our Father's children free to be about our Father's business and experience his joy and pleasure in this world. And why the Holy Spirit? Because God, at his very heart, wants to be with you. The enemy had driven a wedge that we took as humanity, and God has done everything to be with you. And not to just be with you in spirit, but to be with you in the work that he's called you to do in this world. The Father desires to be with us, to not leave us as orphans. I mean, think about this. Some of you in this room, are you're, you're legitimately orphans. And, and orphans are those who obviously have a mom or dad, but they're not present in our lives. It's among the most painful experiences imaginable in this world to be created and designed, but yet to be left alone. And Jesus, he acknowledges the fact that that's what it feels like when we don't know what the Holy Spirit is intended to do in our lives. It feels like we are orphaned. It feels like we are alone in our Father's work about our Father's business without our Father. Jesus says, listen, I've not left you as orphans, 
And because of that, I'm going to give you the spirit, and it's going to be a guarantee. I'm going to give you the spirit of adoption. I'm going to give you all of these signs that are going to be ever-increasing in your life, but ultimately with the promise that I'm coming back for you. But until that day that I'm coming back for you, you are to be about your father's business. At his first coming, Jesus inaugurated or began this new kingdom, this new covenant possibility for us, right? Through overcoming sin and death and giving us the promise and the hope of victory through Christ to be with our father forever. And he says, listen, even in John 14, 6, he says, I'm the only way. He says, I'm the only way. That there are not multiple paths to salvation, friends, because there are not multiple people seated at the right hand of the Father right now. And so he's the only one sitting there. And because he's the only one seated, risen at the right hand of the Father, perfectly accomplishing the Father's will on our behalf, we must be about our Father's business. And we look with great confidence at what Jesus says in John 14 because of the resurrection. He's the only one. So how then is the Holy Spirit at work in your life right now? How is the Father's presence in our life through the Spirit transforming your life right now? So I think for some of us, these greater, or actually for all of us, these greater things start inside of us before they move outside of us, right? So maybe, maybe, Our Father's Spirit, the Spirit of the Father and the Son inside of us, are awakening, maybe he's awakening your heart to the Word of God for the very first time in your life. Or maybe you've been away from God's Word and God's people for a very long time and your heart grew cold and it grew hard. Maybe today this seems like good news to you for some reason. Do you think you you just worked yourself up to that? No, the Spirit is melting you making this the best news imaginable to you. Maybe he's calling you to surrender your life more deeply to him. Maybe he's giving us a taste for righteousness and a disdain for sinful practices that we used to entertain that are not our Father's will. And maybe maybe the call is to just walk out in repentance today, walk away from that lifestyle, walk away from that bondage that we've, that we've believed, that, that wedge that has driven uh, this separation between us and our Father in heaven. Maybe for, for others, he's aligning our heart to the work of our Father in this world. And he is calling you to make big, bold, and faith-requiring changes to your life in order to be able to obey him fully. If, if what the Father's put in your heart to do in this world doesn't scare you a little bit, you might want to ask if it's from the Father. Because he says he wants to do greater things. Because the Spirit is alive in us. So wherever you're at this morning, I want to encourage you to obey the Father's heart through the spirit that's in you right now and to not grieve him. In Ephesians 4, the scripture said that it's possible for us when we, when, we, when we do not follow what the spirit is leading us into, that we grieve the Holy Spirit. Have you been grieving the spirit through the way you've been living your life? What would it look like for you to turn toward the Lord and obey the spirit? Lastly, I just want to land a plane with this. And this is really a setup for the next four weeks, friends. The Holy Spirit is actively advancing the Father's plan for the kingdom through the church. And the church 
is not New City Church. The church is not this physical address. The church is the people of God all over the face of the planet. We are the church. And I think just like Jesus' disciples, just like Peter, just like Thomas, just like Philip, we can't imagine the love that God wants to show us through our partnership and kingdom advancement with him. We can't, we can't imagine what God has in store for us. He wants to live in us in such a way that he changes people and he changes places eternally through his presence in us through the spirit. Listen again to John 14, 12. Listen again to this verse. Truly, truly, so he's speaking to these terrified disciples who can't imagine a better life with Jesus being gone. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, they'll do the works that I do. They'll do the things that I do. But not just that, greater works, greater things than these will he, the church, do because I am going to the Father. Your Father in heaven has made you for great things, even greater things than the scope of what Jesus accomplished, the width of it, right? We didn't raise from the dead, but he's saying the extension of the, of the evidence of the Holy Spirit living in us will, will be greater because he lives in us today and he's with the Father. That you are now God's plan A for the advancement of the kingdom of God in this world. That it's Christ in you, as Paul writes, the hope of what? Glory. My heart for us is that we would stake it all on the line as the people of God. I don't know about you, but I want to I move more deeply into the greater things that God has called us into. I don't want to sit back and be a spectator of God's work. I want to be a participant in the kingdom of God and its advancement. Theodore Roosevelt once said in a speech this, this, this amazing idea about the difference in being a spectator and a participant. It's a far different context, but I think it applies to what God's called us to in the church. Here's what he said. He says, it's not the critic who counts. It's, it's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds where he could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, and who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error or shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory or defeat. Doesn't that just jack you up? I mean, you're like, woo, let's go, you know? Um, who's the man in the arena? Well, I, I think the world would tell us that we have to be the man in the arena. The reality is, is that Jesus Christ is the ultimate man in the arena. He's the one that's accomplished it all for us, but now he's given us this promise that he now lives in us. And because of that, we become the men and the women in the arena of the kingdom of God advancing on the face of the earth, seeking the forceful advancement, the bold advancement of the kingdom of God at all costs because he lives in us. So friends, how is God calling you 
to be about your father's work today, his business, the greater things that the spirit wants to do in and through us. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this promise that we will never, ever, ever be left alone again. We may experience moments where we feel alone. We may experience seasons where we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But the reality is we will never be alone because there is one person seated at the right hand of you right now, receiving and interceding, receiving our prayers and interceding for us, representing us perfectly to you. And his spirit lives inside of us, connecting us fully to you, that there will never be a day where we are not one with you again because of what Christ has done for us. And so, Father, as we come to this table today, or as we come to this promise of the new covenant, this promise that we can do nothing apart from you, and that's a really good thing because you live in us. Like as we come and we remember that, we reflect on that, we're strengthened by that. Lord, I pray that you would show us maybe the ways that we have been grieving the Holy Spirit, the ways where we have not kept the commandments of Jesus, that we have not walked in step with him. Now, Father, the enemy would seek to condemn us for those shortcomings, but the Spirit intercedes for us because when we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, we come to you today and we offer these things that have grieved the Spirit. All the ways where we've known what to do and not done it, Lord. Those things never have to haunt us again when we bring them into the light. And so, Father, would you help give us the courage to believe that we are fully and finally forgiven because Jesus is at the right hand of you right now and the Spirit is alive in us. And so, Lord, as we approach this table, I pray that you would comfort us. You'd be the God of all comfort, be God of all strength, God of all wisdom to us this morning. We pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God, together proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.